All right, hello everybody. This is Manny Escamilla, the Full Metal Archivist, coming in for the third special interview for this special election. Uh, so today we have the uh, uh, great fortune of having uh, Nelida Mendoza come on in and uh, give us her perspective. So again, different than the other two. So one of the main things in this special's, uh, special election is, you know, you're going to have two choices. Uh, yes on recall, no on recall. And then you're going to have the choice of three different people to replace uh, this uh, council member uh, Cecilia Cecilia Iglesias. So, you know, with that, it's, you know, kind of best to look at all the options. I know uh, we're coming on a tight deadline, so the election itself is going to happen um, uh, by Tuesday, May 19th. So uh, most of you should have already gotten your mailers in. So yeah, it's going to be an all vote by mail election. Uh, so, you know, please be sure to go ahead and uh, fill that out. You know, after listening to all these, uh, we're, we're still going to try to get um, council member Iglesias on uh, to kind of give us her perspective as well. So we, we have done that outreach and we're going to try to figure out when we can get that to you. Um, but if you have any other questions about the you know, special election, kind of what's going on with it, uh, please uh, feel free to kind of comment, uh, send us a message, or figure out another way just to get in, get in contact because uh, this is going to be a time-sensitive issue. Uh, that's why we're um, you know, kind of popping out so many of these in such a short order. I think we went from um, one podcast to now number five in uh, less than about a week's time. So uh, thank you, uh, Edgar, for all the overtime that you're doing on this. And yeah, we'll just uh, keep uh, going into the interview. Uh, all right, everybody, uh, we're over here with the interview um, and our uh, a special guest that we're having in today. Uh, so, uh, Nelia, could you uh, please introduce yourself? Good afternoon, uh, City of Santa Ana residents. Uh, this is Nelida Mendoza, candidate for Ward 6, City Council. And, and can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I've uh, lived in Santa Ana since 1965 when we first immigrated to the United States from Mexico. And other than uh, some years with the military and I've been traveling all over the world and then coming back to Santa Ana, this is where my home has been. I've been a homeowner for about 30 years. This is where I've raised my family, my three children, and my brothers and sisters live in Santa Ana. We are a, a well-rooted Santa Ana family. I have been, uh, let's see, a commissioner with the city of Santa Ana for about 10 years, combined uh, two different uh, commissions, the Environmental and Transportation Committee, and then also the Housing and Redevelopment Committee. I've been involved with our community ever since I, I can remember, I think, um, um, back in the early 80s, actually late 80s, uh, I was working for the city of Santa Ana, and that's when I've become involved even more so. And I worked for the city manager's office for a few years, and I also worked for the human resources so I know the city of Santa Ana very well, and I know the structure from the inside and from the outside. And I am currently a trustee with the Rancho Santiago Community College uh, Board. So I've been an elected official for eight years. And while on the board, my focus has been to bring um, affordable and high quality education for our community 
and to collaborate and establish partnerships partnerships with uh, for our youth so that we can put them on a path to professional careers where they can earn great salaries and where they can increase their quality of life in, in Santa Ana and other places, actually, because we get students from all over the county. And so the reason I want to uh, switch over to city council now is because I know that together with this, the city of Santa Ana, the college board, and the school board, the three of us as a trifecta, we can focus on making our communities much better for our residents and so that we can one day become the hub of the Orange County. This is where we're going to be having and producing incredibly trained uh, young people to go out into the workforce so that they can compete for jobs that are you know, high paying jobs. And so that way, they can come back to their communities and volunteer and give back. And so that we will have a reduction in delinquency and an increase in, in, in high school enrollment, uh, high school graduations, and then a higher percentage of those um, students going on to the college. And so as a city, I think we could bridge the gap from the Kinder Caminata right now that we have, uh, we have that program with the college board. It's a program where we catch the students at the kindergarten level. And then we just make a big deal about having them visit the college. And we look uh, that they can see themselves in the future in cap and gown be graduating from Santa Ana College or some local university. And and so the, how does um, the city come into play? You, you're probably asking because um, as a city, we have a duty to provide some kind of a platform for our students so that there is more um, focus on their future rather than just um, maybe just hanging out or being at home with not much uh, resources, we can have uh, after-school programs that are educational in nature and that we could, um, in partnership with the schools, you know, provide some kind of after-school program at the school sites. And then we can have maybe some Santa Ana College uh, staff come over and do some uh, educational programs for the parents so that the parents can also get educated maybe it could it could be maybe just learning uh, the language better or writing skills computer skills so that's just uh, the the tip of the iceberg that I want to see as a collaboration with um, the three areas that I know well which which is um, the city of Santa Ana because I've been I've lived here most of my life and I've been employed by the city of Santa Ana and also, my Rancho Santiago Community College District, because I graduated from Santa Ana College. I know the college system from being a student and now to being a trustee on the board and also as a teacher. I am currently a teacher with the Santa Ana Unified School District. And so my advocate and my passion has been for a higher education. 
So my experience in those three areas can really bring it all together. And at City Hall, uh, we, I will be a champion in making our city a much better place to live, making it a proud city the, because it is the county seat. So we need to show them that Santa Ana is the city. Remember back a few years ago, our motto was education first. Well, yeah. I want to I want to revitalize that. We I want to continue to to keep what we have because it is it is in partnership with the education, the arts and culture and downtown, all of that, yes. However, I want to also go back to our education first model and bring that into play. After all, we can revitalize the downtown area and continue to to be the hub for that that um, the arts and culture and language and literature, we can continue to do that at the same time because some of our kids here in our school system and our college system and our residents here, some of those kids are very talented. They have the know-how on what to do and they're going to be some of those local artists having their, their studios there in downtown Santa Ana in a few years. And in addition, uh, we need to collaborate in having more mentorship, more more um, sponsoring and for having professional internships so that we could create leaders among our youth. And then these leaders will be taking our place in the future because even though I would love to stay in City Hall as your city councilwoman for 100 years or more, I know that life isn't just that way. So... I want to establish the path to teach the young kids uh, maybe some kind of um, youth government so that they can come in and have some professional internships alongside uh, our different departments and get them interested in city government. And, and that way we recruit right from our own very own backyard. But that was mostly my one of my platforms that I plan to work on when I'm in City Hall. A little bit more about myself. I know you're probably interested about what kind of family or how I got to have this interest in in city government. I can tell you that I come from a big family. I I was born in Jalisco. There's uh, 10 of us and my mother and father. And my father worked two jobs to support us when we arrived in the U.S., Um, he worked for a place called Golden West Mobile Homes right off of 1st Street and Daisy. And my mother is a homemaker, and so she took care of all the uh, home issues and getting us off to school and feeding and cleaning the household. That alone was incredible feat for one person for 10 kids. But we all pitched in. My My job was to keep the kitchen clean, wash the dishes, sweep and mop the floors there in the kitchen. And believe me, besides my homework and the kitchen and the duties, <laughs> it was, uh, I, I was kept out of trouble. That's for sure. No gangs, no, uh, no associations with, uh, with, uh, students or other friends that my parents were not, um, personally, um, had met in the past and so they kept us close to home and they they always emphasized that education would get us out of the uh, the cycle of poverty and it's very true 
I'm not a wealthy person, but I consider myself uh, uh, blessed in many ways. I have the resources uh, to to defend myself in many areas. I've been a paralegal for over 20 years, so I know the legal area very well. I, I have an analytical mind, and I know how to analyze issues, pros and cons, and make the best possible decision for our communities. So um, my brothers and sisters, as I mentioned, they're hardworking um, people here in the city of Santa Ana, and they have raised their own families here. and. I am the first one from our family who attended college. I graduated Santa Ana College. Then I went on to Cal State Fullerton, where I received my bachelor's in um, sociology. And at there on, I continued and I obtained my master's in public administration. While at the same time, I was working for the Orange County Department of um, Child Support Services in where I worked for over 20 years and retired about three years ago. And then I've got this, uh, I'm a part-time teacher because I've always had my mind on being a teacher. And I am very happy to be living my lifelong dream. Even though there was a few years of diversion, I still focused on it. And one thing about me is that I always complete while I sew, what I start. No matter how many years it takes me, like this uh, career as a teacher, I have always had it in the back of my mind. And I advocate for a higher education. And uh, the other thing that I that the residents of Santa Ana can rely upon me is that I am ethical and I am a transparent person. And the only reason that I am running for city office um, is to benefit my community because I know what we need. I know the areas that are lacking. And I know that there is a group of people out there saying that I'm the POA candidate. Well, the POA has not um, endorsed me and they have not provided any volunteers or money or anything to my campaign. I am not a POA candidate. And besides, I am not a candidate for any special interests group. I am Santa Ana's candidate, and that's that's that. So um, off to all the people out there who are hearing those rumors, I am assuring you, and you're hearing it straight from my, my lips, do not listen to other people because um, they don't know me. Because if they, if they knew me, they would know the sincerity in my heart for the city of Santa Ana. And I am not going to be selling my vote to anyone. Uh, money has never been an object in my life. I uh, and as I said, I'm not a wealthy person, as a, um, as a refers to money. But I am wealthy in other ways. So money will not be a temptation to me now, or and it never has been. The other thing is that you know, as a candidate for the city of Santa Ana and and politics. I put myself at at risk of all the negativity. So it and it's very difficult and there's a lot of work. You know, I've been um doing the social media, uh Instagram, Facebook. Um uh, my volunteers have been walking with me for the past two weeks all over Santa Ana. 
And it is a, extremely difficult because we get a lot of negative comments. You know, all that that hard work that that I put in 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 sincere efforts to help my community. There's some groups out there who are saying, "Well, what a don't they realize that there's a COVID restrictions? What are they doing coming out to the community? Well, I can assure you that my volunteers are all fully masked and gloved and do not touch any other property. They're only putting the literature, my literature on the, on the door handle so that people make informed decisions when it comes to time to their vote. And I am not exposing or risking volunteers or our residents to this um, to this virus. So you can rest assured that uh, my volunteers and myself we are well protected, and we have your safety in mind as well. But this is one of the ways that I can get the word out to our community because, um, as you know, mailers are very expensive, and. In order to do a mailer, money is needed. Well, it's a very been very difficult. My campaign is not a wealthy campaign, and so I'm doing everything by grassroots. The campaign is by friends, family, and word of mouth, and by pounding the payment, uh, like we have been this past two weeks. So that's how I'm going to win this campaign: is by getting out there and putting in the effort. And I know that um, many of you will not agree with with some some things, but you know what? You know, in this world, you and you know very well from your own experiences that you cannot make everyone happy. But I'm not here to make everyone happy. I'm here to make the city of Santa Ana residents happy, and the majority will be happy. I can guarantee that. And so that's why I put myself at risk of all the. Um, the uh, the name calling or you know my signs are being destroyed and slashed with um, knives. I put myself at risk of all that um, negativity, but I do it for the for my community. And and that the sense of uh, duty that I have to my country and to my community here in Santa Ana. I got that from the military. There was a sense of proudness and loyalty and honor to serve in this in this uh, wonderful um, military uh, entity in defending residents here of America. And I bring that back to me in a smaller scale here to my city, my Santa Ana. And I want to serve just as honorably as I serve my country. And the, the residents will get a candidate, a city councilwoman, who is honest, who is transparent, and whose only motive is to make it a better city, a revitalized city, a city that is um, abundance with educational programs, with a balanced budget, with... Um, living conditions that are adequate and uh, for everyone and and so i'm i'm giving you all of me now if you ask any of the other candidates what do they have to offer i don't think they can truthfully truthfully say that they are giving all of themselves and i do that because 
I have been a resident here for over 40 years. The other candidates have not. I've had the experience with the with uh, serving being a public official for over eight years. The other candidates have not. I have the experience of being in the community for since I've been a resident of Santa Ana. And I don't know how the other candidates, whether they've lived here, I don't know how long they've lived here. So the the choice is very clear. And I know there's going to be some issues that come up uh, among the city in city council business that I may not be familiar with, but that is easy. What I will I plan to do is get informed, get familiarized with issues that I may not have come across before as a trustee or as a public citizen. And as I mentioned, I have the a mind that is analytical. So all I have to do is get staff to get me the reports and the studies. And we analyze the the issue together with the residents because because the residents should be able to have input as to what is being built in their areas. And and so together we can analyze and look to see what the pros and cons of issues are. And then we can and we can determine what the best possible solution will be for for that area. And then I will represent them. I am their voice. They will have complete and honest representation on the council when they vote for for me. And I know I've I've talked quite a bit, but if you have any specific questions, um I will hand that over to you now, Manny. Yeah, no, I, I think I always um like to let let a uh, person kind of do that for, informal introduction uh, is open-ended as possible. And you do, you definitely took advantage of that open-endedness. Uh so that that was good. We learned a lot and I think you actually covered um you know some of the questions that I that I had. Um but you know I, I do want to kind of get back to this whole idea of like how did we actually get to this special election? So this is something we're asking all the council candidates. So I'd like to hear your version as to how we got uh, to a special recall election. Um, you know, at this point uh, in our in our history here. Well, my understanding, Manny, is that the big issue, the biggest issue, and the major reason for the recall is the twenty five twenty five project. And it was it's been a very controversial development for a few years. And what had occurred was that the Park Santiago residents have had asked the council to reconsider and to uh, not to approve such a huge development in their area. And they named all the mitigating circumstances. And specifically, they asked Cecilia Iglesias for help. And... Uh, according to several of the residents from that area, because I've been uh, uh, canvassing that area myself, and I've spoken to a few who were out there in their lawns, and they had their masks on, so we were socially distant from one another. But they did mention that uh, Cecilia promised them to help them and not to approve and to to consider the the project a little longer. However, when it came time to vote, um, Cecilia approved it. Her vote was to approve the project. And then there was rumors that there was development money in her campaign. I don't know about that, but that's easily checkable through the 
Form 460. And and so she approved it and the residents felt that she had stabbed him in the back. And that was the words that were told to me, stabbed in the back. And naturally they were angry. They were in an uproar. So they got together and over 16,000 residents signed the petition for the recall. And the residents knew that it was going to take a lot of money and so uh, there, that's where the money came from, the police uh, officers uh, association. And so they had the money and they uh, helped to fund. I don't know who else funded the recall, but I know that um, that's how it started. So the, the public is misinformed. It, it's not one uh, entity or a certain group of um, police officers that are wanting um, the recall, it was a thousands and thousands of public citizens, just like you and I, who felt that this uh, that this councilwoman had not lived up to her promises and that there was other issues that, um, that were not in alignment with what a public official services should be to her community. And that's um, that's how we got to the recall. So uh, now, now correct me if, if I'm misunderstanding this. You're saying that the main reason that the recall for Sessi occurred was because of 2525, not for any other uh, decisions that she made on the dais or any other, I guess, uh, enemies she did, had acquired for any uh, anything else. That 2525 was the main reason. Well, some people claim, and uh, I believe Cecilia claims also, that she voted against the police officer's salary increase. But that's not the reason. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons. And the main one being the 2525. And the, uh, there's also people who are really upset with her because she's anti-public education. She's been tooting her horn for years about bringing in charter schools and the charter schools take money. They take public uh, school money away from our schools, from Santa Ana Unified District. So that's another group of parents who are very unhappy with uh, her choices. And I was told that there was a, a recall started back in 2015, 2016 for the parents, uh, the Santa Ana Unified School parents. They wanted her out of the school board because there was such a... Um, controversy on her always wanting charter schools and, um, and just um, bad-mouthing our public education system. So that's another issue is that she's uh, uh, anti-public education. So it's the charter school, the whole charter school business. And so I'm sure many of those people who signed the petition are also those parents who were going to start the recall a few years ago. So she would have been recalled from the school board. Um, and then um, when she when that was coming up, then she ran into uh, for city the city um, council seat in 2018. So the other recall never uh, took took place, but that's what happened with that issue. So that's on the public education, right? And also she's spoken about um, against uh, unions. And you know very well that our unions are hardworking people and they maintain our 
way of life here. So um, that's another issue is uh, you have a lot of uh, unions and union people who are not happy with her her view on on and then being anti-union. And and so see, there's a lot of reasons. So it's not the only reason that she mentions. There's there's just a, there's a whole list that um, of actions that she's uh, done over the few years, these two years that she's been there. And so now, you know, it's a democratic process and I agree with a democratic process. Uh, the voters voted and they uh, signed the petition and they want her out. And, and it's not just uh, the police officers. You know, the police officers are a very um, um, needed group of um, um, workers here in our city. They keep law and order and I respect them. And I think that uh, rather than dividing the public and our communities with uh, against the police officers, I think we need to unite and return that trust. Because I remember in our neighborhood, we had such a great relationship with the police officers. They would come to our neighborhood community meetings and bring bring um, the dogs and uh, the kids were just thrilled. And there was this friendliness and trust, a mutual trust between the, the community and the police officers. And and look what has been created because of this. Uh, now we have a divide between the police officers and the community. And I need to bring that back. And I want to unite uh, us again with uh, with our police officers. We right. need them and they need us. Right. So, um, and I, I, I definitely think- uh, make a distinction between our, our um, kind of front serving uh, police and our um, – and our police officers association, you know, it's a union structure. It's structured slightly differently, but um, yeah, I'd kind of be curious to to know when, like these halicon, like beautiful days between the the community and the police were, were were there. And I know that the kind of community relations have ebbed and flowed, and that you know, if we look back into the history of the city in the '60s and '70s, we had near riots, at least in the area that I grew up, kind of on the rate. And um, let's see, First Street area, where basically we almost had uh, riots during a very kind of tense uh, period of uh, relationships between the police officers and community members. So, you know, I'm just trying to, to figure out exactly kind of when, you know, what time period you're trying to get back to and kind of what model exactly you're, you're looking to, to have with our police officers. A model, you know, we can start uh, by having um, town halls, you know, we're having our our police officers come and attend the neighborhood meetings like they used to. And we can start that again. And we can maybe expand our Santa Ana cadet program. I would love to have uh, all of our youth maybe start off in maybe in the 10th grade as having uh, some kind of a community service where they can be part of the cadets for a semester or two and I guarantee you that rather than um, going off and out and hang out with the friends, that these kids would rather hang out in a cadet, a structured program, and many of them will will have their eyes open and in, in interest in going into law enforcement. And so uh, we can have a, a mentorship program with the police department 
and start doing it by that way. And then, you know, I, I know that it's, um, that there's a, there's a huge controversy with, uh, the salary and the benefits package. Well, I wasn't part of that when that came to city hall and I would really like to look at the, the whole thing is like, let's look at what the benefit package is. How is it going to affect the Santa Ana budget? How can we structure it so that that the officers are paid fairly and compensated adequately? Because if, if we have low wages and our surrounding cities are offering them higher wages, we're going to lose a lot of great officers. Right, but and, you know, well, yeah, we well, don't want that, right? Right, but one of the things that, again, from a kind of policy standpoint, that we we tend to see is maybe um, a ratcheting up uh, amongst competing uh, local municipalities, right? So one uh, city will do a, a study, find itself kind of in the middle, and say it needs to go up. Then the next study, the next year, says like, well, this other person basically they they uh, put in some raises, and then now we have to also do some raises. So there's kind of this ratcheting up effect that uh, happens with some of these salary studies, and I think right now we we essentially. Hear the city of Santa Ana ratcheted up uh, the the price scale for a lot of um, police officer salaries, right? So if we're looking at what it costs to field a police officer at around like three hundred thousand dollars a year with uh, benefits and kind of pension uh, um, cost included, you know, there, there's um, it's still I think a, a reasonable question as to why we're paying more and yet have less officers now than we had in the '60s and '70s, even though the the budget is much larger. And um, we have a much greater percentage of the budget going into public safety without the same number of, of officers. A good question, Manny. I would love to see the reports and the studies. And but you can be you can guarantee um, this is the kind of issues that come before me as a trustee for the um, Rancho Santiago Community College District. And every year for the past eight years, we've had to negotiate salaries for our staff, our management, our professors. And naturally, they would like a higher uh, salary, right? Um, uh, benefits package that is um, very um, <laughs> packed in, right? And, and naturally, that's what they want. But in reality, we need to look to see what's uh, in the budget. And so that's what I've done and my experience with uh, budgets and labor nego negotiations would come into play here is that um, sure you're gonna have you're gonna ask for a certain amount, but then we need to negotiate, you know. We need to ensure that it's something that's adequate and reasonable for the city's budget, because we cannot bankrupt uh, the city's budget on just uh one area. It needs to be equal for all of our employees. Everyone deserves um, justifiable compensation. And so it's not going to be just, a, just because they're asking for it that they're going to get it. And we've had to do that. Um, I've done that on the board of trustees is that we've um, denied salary increases because our budget does not it's not in our budget for that time. And, and they understand, you know, we have the best city that in, anybody can work for. And so it would be understandable that, that um, they're not going to get a salary increase or as much as they would like 
each and every single time. So I, I'm making that promise that I will look at everything and weigh the pros and cons and then uh, participate in all the negotiations for any further salary increases. And the police officers, they will understand because I'm, I'm certain that they, they, they don't want the city of Santa Ana to go bankrupt. So they're reasonable uh, people, and I trust that the leadership uh, will continue to be uh, professional and and collaborate with the city officials in in making decisions that are beneficial for all of us, not just for for one special interest group. All right. So, so you say right now you uh, what what is your existing relationship then with with the POA um, leadership structure in particular? We've had a, a professional relationship. Uh, and that's about it. We, I have never ever had any um, uh, conversations about salaries with them, or any other issues. Uh, um, I have known um, several and many police officers because I was part of the prior to be going on the board of trustees. I was uh, very much a part of the board of the com- community oriented policing, which is COP or um, short, the, the COP program. And I was on the board there for many years. So I had um, many um, issues that we resolved with uh, Chief Gominski and other chiefs that we've had along the way. Uh, we've uh, addressed well, issues was a, such as... Yeah, he wasn't a chief. He was, a, I think, a lieutenant and now he's a... Vice lieutenant? Chief? Yeah, he's a deputy chief or something now. He got, he got a promotion. I know Gominski got a promotion, but he was never a chief. Sorry Congratulations. <laughs> so with him, you know, we uh, we were part of that, um, the sting when there was uh, that heavy prostitution on First Street off of Harbor in that area. So we participated in helping to resolve that with the police officers. And, and so that's been my relationship with there. We also, you know, they have also helped uh, uh, many officers would come to our Shopping with the officer, the Target, they would donate money to the, our West End COP so that we could buy gifts for the children during Christmas. They would come and get into, um, they would bring the dog and the, um, uh, Mr. McGruff. Mm-hmm. Uh, officer Reed would bring McGruff and then... Um, yeah, I remember Officer Reed. <laughs> yes, yes, wonderful um, program, you know, Uh uh, I remember that, you know, just say no and dare to say no to drugs. And hey, I'm still say no to drugs because uh, the influence of my gruff. And, and they, so they've also participated in many of the, um, the, the night out, you know, the, um, the yearly program where the police officers come out to several areas of our communities. And it's another bonding with communities night with uh, law and enfor- law enforcement officers, and so that's been my relationship uh, with the police officers. And of course, whenever I see them at the parades or maybe at the um, the pancake, like during Christmas, uh, they had the, the annual uh, community breakfast for the kids and the police officers came out and, and gave them toys and made pancakes for them. And so 
I was there to help out with that. And so that's my relationship with them as a um, as another human in an attempt to provide uh, um, justice and good quality living to our residents. That's my interest in my relationship with the police officers. All right. So, you know, we, we I think we heard a lot on the um, experience that you've had with various um, other agencies and that impact or government agencies that impact the lives of residents here. So the school district and the college district. And you know, really, those agencies uh, focus a lot on um, ed- education and uh, really getting individuals ready for for the workforce. Uh, but the city of Santa Ana, you know, as a as a council member, you'd be dealing with a lot of land use issues, right? So a lot of things as to what gets built, what doesn't, um, how the city grows, whether it grows, uh, decisions around other kind of other uh, services in in that sort of area. So I don't know if you have. Um, kind of an overall vision for how you'd approach um, those types of decisions when it comes to whether the city's full or any you know where development goes or doesn't go. Well, uh, let's start with the the housing issue, and I know that the governor and the legislature enacted a rent control law that just went into effect this January of 2020. And I know that many of our our affordable housing and tenant groups requested that law. And I support that law as well. But more important to me right now is helping residents with the rental assistance money so that they can pay their rent. The city council has started a fund. It's $500,000 for now, which is good. But the need is much greater than that. Many of our seniors and veterans in particular are at risk, and I want to increase the amount for the rental assistance for them. And third, we need to focus on creating local jobs and opportunities so that the economy starts opening up. We can help our working residents to get good jobs and with benefits, especially the union jobs. And, um, you know, the cities, uh, that there's some cities who have their own permanent rent control laws like Santa Monica and San Francisco. However, those rents are actually much higher than other cities and less housing gets created or improved in those areas. So we just need to be careful and and I'll be looking to the governor's leadership on his rent and housing proposals. And as far as um, development in our city, we need to see and ensure that the site is proper for huge um, projects and to ensure that all the facts have been mitigated prior to any approval, such as the parking, the noise, the um, saturation of um, more people traffic. So I, I'm in favor of development in the proper areas. And because more development is going to mean more uh, tax monies for uh, the city. So that's revenue for our cities that we can use for other programs. In addition, I will be requiring or looking to, to ensure that such developments include a community bef- benefits uh, package. And that means uh, 
while this building is there, there has to be something that the community can benefit from, whether it's a park off to the side or some kind of green space or um, building and maintaining bikeways and pedestrian walkways, uh, something that um, is going to be long lasting and it's uh, and that the that there's a mutual benefit from the developers as well as uh, as the residents. And, and to make sure that it's not some huge, um, uh, hum humongous uh, development in a, in a re residential area. You know, it has to be zoned properly. So I will be looking towards that in the development area. All right. And um, I, I did want to just um, kind of echo that because I, I think you, you essentially did say that you'd be against any um, rent control options because of the the impacts that you'd seen in uh, Santa Monica and San Francisco was that a was that a fair statement there right okay uh, well definitely want to point you into to, to one uh, um, study I, I know a lot of folks kind of uh, point out that there was a Stanford study done on the impacts of residential rent control in the kind of uh, production kind of transitioning of rental units into condominiums. Uh, but one of the sub findings from that study was that the areas where there were uh, kind of rent control measures put into place had a higher uh, retention of low income communities of color uh, over time. So that uh, displacement for basically working class um, immigrants, African-Americans, um, uh, Asian Pacific Islanders, anyone kind of um, you know, in that general uh, uh, category and um, Latino uh, uh, folks as well, the rate of them having to leave that particular neighborhood if it had rental control protections in place uh, was significantly uh, different and was actually a helpful mechanism uh, to keep people uh, in the city of San Francisco. So I know there is um, kind of a lot of stuff that gets talked about the unit production. Uh, but not necessarily as much maybe talking about the uh, the positive impacts of rent control in those two uh, communities. And I'm only familiar with the study done in San Francisco. I don't know what the uh, impacts were in Santa Monica, so I'd, I'd still have to look into that. But it's definitely you know, some other data that, that's out there that you know, provides a little bit of a, of a different narrative. And it just happens to be a, a topic that's uh, you know, somewhat close to, uh, to my own heart. Um, now, we, we you know, did talk about the zoning uh, kind of in you know how that's all going to come into play do you, do you have um, any kind of public position on what's going on over at the Willowick site well yes um, I grew up around that area just a few blocks from that um, and it's it's always been there so I'm very familiar with uh, where it's at I believe a the best possible solution for that would be like a multi-use um, development, something that is going to be yeah, beneficial for business and um, uh, affordable housing and some green space because um, we would all benefit. Our community can use the, the parks there. There'll be some housing, affordable housing, and you could have uh, some businesses in there that the city can draw on profits from and you know, revenue from from that. So I think it's um, it's a good idea that we do it. We use it for multi-use. So I'm not sure if there's any proposals before the city council right now, but uh, when when they do come up, I'll be sure and have um, lots of town halls around my areas and specifically from the that Santanita neighborhood so that I can um, get their inputs and assist uh, my colleague 
who is, um, I don't know who's who has that ward right now, so that we can all talk together as council and see what the residents of that area are uh, um, wanting and and to explain explain the project to them because I think when they have input, there'll be there'll be a a buy-in, you know, and and I think they'll be more um, agreeable to the building of some projects if they have the input. So even though it's not my ward, I would definitely uh, discuss it and have conversations with my colleagues so that we could all uh, look to see what's going to be beneficial for for that area and for our city. Let's see. I'm sorry. I'm just uh, trying to pull this up. I believe the... Oh, one more thing, uh, Manny. Uh, besides, you know, looking at the Willowick... Um, it, there's a lot of uh, nature in the area, so um, we need to see what the environmental impact is going to be on that. Uh, we need to be sure that we don't um, disturb any um, any ecological uh, process that's going on there, and and to keep it as natural as possible, so that that we have. Um, clean uh, environment made that there's clean water there that that we have um, uh, we need to look at pollution what the environment uh, will be how how will it be impacted by this this new development there because I want to live leave a city uh, as clean as possible for our future generations because I, I know that my children will and my family will continue to live here for thousands of years so I don't want to ruin the environment for for our future generations so that's a, another thing is that I will be looking for to make sure the envir environmental impact is minimum and that we have mitigated all the possibilities of, of the ecological impact on on the buildings all right. Well, that's that's good to know. I definitely um, need a little bit more considerations for environmental uh, justice and environmental um, uh, impacts. Now, but with with that particular subject, though, I think that one of the things that we kind of ignore it's, it's great when we have um, these amazing green spaces and natural spaces that are still there. Um, but we have a lot of adjacent um, industrial polluting kind of. Um, uh, you know, locations that basically release particulate matter and things that can damage lung, you know, chemicals and um, and um, actual particles that can damage lungs and cause um, chronic health issues by placing businesses immediately next to um, relatively high density uh, apartment complexes, right? So all throughout the standard corridor, um, we have kind of industrial intrusion into you know the Logan neighborhood being a famous example, but then also along Lacey. And uh, then the old uh, Artesia Pilar neighborhood where we essentially had all these polluting industrial uses that the city allowed over time. And we haven't really been any you know, sort of proactive. There has been no proactive push to try to um, either green these uh, locations and their operations or to reduce the amount of health impacts to our lowest income uh, neighborhoods in this city. So I, I hope that you'd also uh, you know, spend some time looking at that as well. So not just preserving the, the green spaces that look nice, but also uh, reducing uh, industrial hazards uh, that our residents are currently being exposed to. Oh, absolutely, uh, Manny. Yeah, I don't want uh, to harm, especially our, our residents um, in that way. So 
we we should be looking at making sure we have uh, that policy and, and procedures in place that businesses um, do dispose of um, that kind of um, dangerous uh, chemicals uh, or whatever it is that they their pollution is that they, it's disposed of properly and that it not be allowed to run into our neighborhoods. Definitely, that's a that's a priority you know that's that's a matter of life and death right there mm-hmm. and absolutely agreed um, so with uh you know everything that's going on right now with, with covid and the the changing um budget outlook what are those hard decisions that you see coming as far as COVID um, issue is concerned well, well just uh in general um, you know we're emerging out of this um this period of time and period of history and there are a lot of different impacts in a lot of different areas so what are the challenges that you see kind of emerging um you know basically we're going to be in recovery and an emergency um footing at the city level so which one you know kind of what issues do you see that are kind of emerging from this well the number one issue that i see is that there may be a reduction in force because it looks like um People are doing really well um, working from home. So there may be less people at City Hall, but they're working from home, which will is, is great for the city because we have less cars, less pollution, less uh, gasoline being expended. And, and the people are trusted by, our, um, by city government to do their jobs from home. So I think it's a, that one's a positive um, impact. The negative impacts is that we're we're there because of the um, people are furloughed. There's not an um, they don't have the money to spend right now. So the our economy in our downtowns, our restaurants are suffering, businesses are suffering. But uh, we need to look at to what solution or temporary solution at least, so that our our businesses continue to to be able to make a, a profit at the same time that we maintain the social distance. How can we do that? And um, I think I'll be in City Hall by that time that we can enact some ordinances uh, in, in help as, the, as we're reopening up the city to back to business. But uh, right now I can tell you many that um, and I want to tell everyone here um, who's listening to be extra careful uh, around Santa Ana, especially because uh, we're not out of the clear. Uh, even though the curve may be flattening, uh, actually it's just lowering a little bit, but it's back up. And this happened in the last three days. The contamination of COVID-19 in the city of Santa Ana in particular went from only 15% to 46%. And that was just within a matter of days. And it seems that people got too confident that that we were out of the clear. I mean, we were in the clear. And so they're out there without their masks and not protecting their, their hands. And they're out in public and not maintaining social distance. They're going to the beach, to the parks. And then they come back to their homes here in Santa Ana to where they have elderly parents or grandparents, children, babies. And the exposure 
increased again. So now here we are in Santa Ana, 46% contamination. And so I don't see that we're going to be I'm sorry, for 46% of the population or 46% of, of something else? Because that's an extremely high number that would be around 150,000 cases. Here in Santa Ana, just Santa Ana alone. So the, the number that we just got from the city was around 354 or something confirmed COVID cases in the city. So I, I'm trying to figure out where you're getting the, the percentage on 46%. Um, it's, it's on NPR, the... Um, the National Public Radio, the numbers came from the, that specifically the city of Santa Ana had gone up in, uh, in contamination. So in exposures, probably to um, the ones who were po- tested positive, it went from 15% to 46%. Right. Okay. Of the people being tested, so not, the, not the, the population as a whole. So 46% of the... Uh, but these are positive cases. Right. Positive well, well, cases that have come up. Right. So yeah, that's that's right. So I'm saying um, that 40... So it went from being 16% of the total people tested in the city. It used to be 16. And now it's gone up to about 46% of those receiving tests are testing positive. Right. Right. But it's not... The, the city as a whole, not, not the... Um, it's not saying 46% of the residents have COVID. It's 46% of those being tested in the city have been that's confirmed. That's correct. Okay. Yes, that's, that's correct. Yeah, it's, a, it's a couple hundred yeah, thousand so, <laughs> difference there. No, it's, uh, yeah, so so we need to maintain um, the restrictions and stay at home as much as possible. And we need to go back to in, uh, the beginning of March where people were just hunkered down in their homes and do help out your elderly neighbors on on the uh, app, uh, the, the uh, neighborhood app. There is a place where you can sign up if you need help. Uh, if you don't have anyone to bring your groceries, neighbors would gladly go out and get the, the um, items for you and bring them over. There's no uh, reason for our elderly to be unnecessarily exposed or put at risk because. Um, they're the ones that are more that are at risk. The people over, I believe it's over sixty-five. So, as neighbors, we will we will do that for you. Let us know. And I know that on the next door app, uh, there was one lady who asked for some items, and and I responded. I would take them over, and like six other people said, "Oh, don't worry, she's near me. I'll take it over to her." It's like wonderful. See people coming together in in these. And these diff- difficult times and looking out for one another, I, I really, I really enjoy seeing that we're back to uh, a community that is bonded and we're held together by common goal of maintaining our health, staying safe, and and uh, eradicating this uh, coronavirus from our our city. So please be careful out there. Um, and I will, from City Hall, we'll work on a a plan to uh, keeping in mind uh, the safety first for businesses and residents. And then, of course, to try and get everybody in our city back to a as normal as could be. But I don't think we'll ever return to a normal life, uh, seeing that this is the most incredible 
issue that it's any anyone has ever lived because uh, I don't think anyone was around for the the other pandemics. So we're gonna we're gonna work through it, and we will come through together. But we just need to continue to to protect ourselves because by protecting yourself, then you are protecting all the other people around you. So let's keep doing that, Santa Ana. All right. Well, thank you for that. So is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, yes, I just want to maybe conclude by saying that um, you know me, uh, many, uh, many of you listeners out there know me for many years. You know my integrity. You know my position on morals and character. That is me. I've always been like that, and I will continue to be that person that you know. And as far as uh, because the POA is a hot issue, I just want to say one more thing on that, and then I do hope that you that the listeners give me the opportunity to prove myself. And uh, I have always advocated for the importance of safety environments on the campus at Santa Ana Colleges uh, and um, our, our other colleges and, and in our community in particular, in particularly. You know, uh, law enforcement is a part of fabric to ensure that we are protected and that we thrive because if we know we're safe, we will thrive. And as you may recall, uh, I had a uh, I had a run for this very same seat in 2018 and I was without the POA endorsement. They supported another candidate. But that did not ch- change my outlook or med- motivation to run in this race now. And so based on my last leadership experience, I believe that we can achieve more together as a collective team than we do when there's divisiveness and if divisiveness is allowed to run free we're not going to have that trust that we need to build between uh, the law enforcement and the community and this is what we're seeing right now in our city there's division across so many fragmented groups and i bring i plan to bring some positive energy and level-headed discussions to our city council regardless of whether our or not collective entity supports my bid city council. So I am not endorsed by the POA and they have not provided any volunteers or money to my campaign. I'm doing this strictly by grassroots methods. And, and so I want to assure every, everyone that my, my vote is not bought by any special interest groups. You know, I've had the support of the, in the past, PTA groups, uh, unions, and I've always voted in favor of what is best for the student and the community. Uh, My vote has never been to favor one specific uh, group. And I, I can promise you that I will keep doing that. And, and so rest assured, when you hear rumors, just turn the other way and make your own judgment. Be your own person and find the information. Or you may call me. Call me personally and we can talk virtually or on the phone. And you can get a sense of, of who the true Nalida Mendoza is. I'm not the person who... Um, People are saying that um, the POA has bought my uh, vote. Uh, totally untrue. 
And you may reach me at 714-721-6141 or just go on my website at www.nalida4sanaana.com or you may email me at nalida.citycouncil at gmail.com. I appreciate your time listening to this podcast. I thank Manny and his uh, engineers and all the people who put this together. My sincere um, appreciation to the community service that you are providing, Manny. These are the type of uh, individuals we need in leadership positions because you can tell that these young people are going to be the future for our city and we need strong leadership. And I have proven my leadership in the past and I bring that strong leadership and I will continue to do so at City Hall. And regardless of uh, what your situation is, uh, I want to listen to it. And I, I will have a town hall sessions throughout the city so that we can get to know one another on a more personal um, level. And I will be that candidate who is accessible to you. You can always get a hold of me and I will come to you no matter what. Uh, and I've, I've been like that all the time. It's not just because I'm running for city council. I'm like that because I really want to hear the issues and I really want to help resolve those. And many of my students from past classes have my contact information and they contact me because I they know I have uh, the savviness and resources to help their families along the way. So they've come to me with uh, sometimes with legal issues or school issues or university application issues. And they say, Miss Mendoza, I don't know what to do here. And so we look at it and I help them and I give them ideas. I put them in contact with people. And that's what makes it community. And those people that help me get into where I'm at today, which is you, Santa Ana, these are the people that I will hand, take your hand and pull you along with me to all the successes that the city of Santa Ana will have. I am not the kind of candidate that climbs over your head and then smashes you back down so you fall off that success. No, I'm bringing you with me. And that is my candidate platform. I am encouraging you to vote for Nalida Mendoza because I am truly the best, most qualified and the better candidate to make Santa Ana better. I guarantee that with my leadership at City Hall, you will see the difference, not just words, but action. And I look forward to meeting you in person in the near future. Everyone, I encourage you to stay home, be safe, and be healthy. And together, we are going to see the end of this coronavirus epidemic. Thank you very much, Manny. I appreciate the time that you've given me and all, to all your engineers. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you. Yeah, it's just the, the one mighty engineer, Edgar Silva. Um, so he, he does the work of 10 people, but uh, he's here for us all, <laughs> all the time. So I appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks for uh, writing out all the, the earlier, uh, you know, figuring out the, the setup and everything. And uh, I think we're, we're good and I really appreciate you uh, being here. Thank you, Manny. Have a great weekend. Be safe, everyone. See you soon, Santa Ana in City Hall. 
Yeah, thank you everyone uh, for listening in to this uh, special guest interview for this special election in uh, 2019. Um, so there's going to be a, you know, a lot of decisions to make. So hopefully uh, these are, are helpful and uh, you're finding them useful. Uh, another you know, thing is that we wouldn't really be doing this without the audience. And uh, we've had some good feedback so far. Uh, the metrics are looking good, right? So I, I didn't think we'd even have 100 people listening to this thing. Uh, but we hit that mark pretty early on. So pretty, pretty happy with that. Um, but, you know, please uh, like, uh, share it, uh, subscribe, you know, give it out to uh, anyone who you think's like a nerd about local Santa Ana politics and policy. And then, you know, any questions that you have, uh, we're definitely here to try to answer them. So uh, the you know, series of um, podcasts that we're going to have in the future might be a little bit more uh, technical. We're going to try to dive in with uh, some non-candidate experts, but, you know, because of the time constraint and really, you know, the importance of this special election, uh, we wanted to make sure to, to have this opportunity to hear directly from the uh, city council candidates. So uh, again, uh, thanks to uh, Edgar Silva here at the Michael Scott Paper Company Studio slash Iron Lion Studios. Uh, and, uh, you know, thank you uh, today for... Um, Let's see, Randy Jim, uh, also known as Rand Digital of Dragon Sounds, uh, for providing the track Dreamtime Santa Ana. Uh, so I uh, hope you're uh, dreaming, all, you're all dreaming well out there. And uh, yeah, just have a nice weekend. Uh, sit back, relax, love your family, love your friends, and you'll love the place that you're from. 